Hey, Coast to Coast Wrestling Podcast listeners. Uh, just a quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded before the WWE COVID-19 uh, developments as far as uh, the wrestlers that were released. So uh, we were just discussing WrestleMania 36 uh, show in its entirely and giving you a review. Uh, so please enjoy a review of WrestleMania 36. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coast Wrestling Podcast with Rick Zell and Matt Seha. I'm Rick Zell, that's Matt Seha. Matt, today we're talking about the oddest WrestleMania of all time. We're talking about WrestleMania 36. So we're talking about WrestleMania in your house, Rick. We're going to get review the show, uh, the two-night extravaganza. Uh, it is definitely one of the weirdest WrestleManias we have ever watched. I actually thought that this WrestleMania really exceeded expectations, and I think a lot of that was because our expectations were very, very, very low. <laughs> but but this was actually a very enjoyable WrestleMania, and I, or in my opinion, Lisa, and I thought it was very entertaining, and it um, the best matches by far were the non-traditional matches where they really took advantage of the fact that you you can go off-site and not perform in front of an audience. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think uh, it, it did it did exceed expectations for me as well. And overall, I did enjoy the show. Uh, there's some elements from not having a crowd there that I really can't get past. Maybe it's just a personal thing. Just uh, the mm-hmm. ending of matches seemed to be a kind of a lackluster uh, uh, versus having a crowd that explodes. But I do agree with you with that latter point. It was a unique opportunity to kind of uh, push the boundaries as far as a traditional match and do new stuff. And I, and I feel like it resulted in in two really great matches that we will discuss years from now that you wouldn't have the opportunity to do so if there was a live crowd. Look, any WrestleMania that gives us Fiend versus Cena is automatically the greatest WrestleMania of all time. Yes. So, but- <laughs> Matt, uh, two nights of WrestleMania, three hours each night. Love it or hate it? Oh, so I, I loved it. I, I have to say, I, I took an L on this one. Uh, we <laughs> talked about in the previous show uh, our preferences. Uh, I came to the conclusion that I, I, I'm fine with this setup as, as long as you're going to go with this route. But going forward, I, I wouldn't mind if WrestleMania is two nights. Uh, I do hold on to my position that they should not do NXT TakeOver if that's the case and just put those matches on WrestleMania so there's little more meat to it but i did love the format i didn't feel like i was excruciatingly watching wrestling for five hours one day i was able to spread (laughs) it out and actually the first night i felt like ended shortly which i was pleasantly surprised yeah i definitely preferred watching three hours each night to watching a giant six hour with a two hour pre-show on sunday where you dedicate your entire day to it i think this was definitely a, a better style that being said, I still think 20 to 30 minutes each night could have been cut. It was, it would be even better. Again, brevity is the sole nar- narrative. I think uh, if you cut cut out some of the filler matches or some of the Gronk appearances, mm-hmm. uh, then then I think this show would have flown even better and felt even bigger with big matches only. So maybe that's another trick to it too, Matt. That. Uh, 
WWE was forced to not have celebrity interactions and tons of filler matches. So we get right to the wrestling. And uh, as we know, WWE books really well when their back is against the wall and they don't have time to write and rewrite storylines 30 times over. Yeah, and again, that's part of the strength of just uh, having a show pre-taped. Uh, you you eliminate the Vince McMahon factor of him not liking something and scrapping it or scrapping weeks and weeks of storyline building for him to do something stupid. So uh, this event really took advantage of that. Like you mentioned, there was no stupid story, like celebrity interactions with the mid Carter uh, with the yeah mid Carters. Uh, except for Grunk. Except for yeah, well yeah, except for <laughs> but uh, we it, WrestleMania would be overall better if you just scrap some of these matches. But uh, this one wasn't as bad as the last five years, I have to say. <laughs> so uh, it, I will it, say, it, though, another another uh, benefit does is that this was a much more traditional WrestleMania that where both Royal Rumble winners went on to challenge for titles at WrestleMania and win those titles. And we had a lot of face wins and we had uh, matches like KO and Seth Rollins where it actually ended a storyline, same with Edge and Randy Orton. So I think that um, also is a great benefit of WrestleMania where it it felt like a conclusion to a year rather than a continuation of several storylines. Yeah, and the, it's how WrestleMania should feel, right? You have uh, storylines ending at WrestleMania, and you have WrestleMania uh, Royal Rumble winners going over. So, in that respect, it finally felt like WrestleMania is supposed to feel. And, and so, it did benefit from that. But again, I feel like having to be in pre-taped and having Vince McMahon having to make up his mind early really benefited that. And you know, not going to the show and being like, you know what, I'm gonna have. I'm going to have Ripley go over here. I'm going to have Brock retain. It really eliminated that factor. Well, that's what we always say the beauty of NXT is, right? Because you have to record uh, three weeks in advance. It forces you to have long-term storytelling and coherent storylines that you can't change last minute. And I do think uh, WrestleMania uh, benefited from that. That being said, obviously, live events are much better as... As we found out how silly wrestling was without a crowd to cheer on, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, Rick, let's let's kind of dive in here. Let's talk about our scores. So uh, this is a point of contention. Uh, Rick, I think, is going to say this is shenanigans. But I won the scorecard based on my main event predictions. Uh, all, all the objective, tangible match predictions we tied, right? Yes. Yeah, so... And not only that, <laughs> right before we started recording, Matt deleted all of our records of our predictions. I you call it devious, I call it being lazy. I don't want to start a document. <laughs> so I just wrote over our previous document. But there's no way for me to prove that now because we use Google Docs. So. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, never never mistaken competence for malice. <laughs> But Rick, let's let's talk about we, we talked about the show and how we both kind of enjoyed it and we were both really presently surprised by how much we enjoyed the show. Uh, what would you rate it overall? I think this is a solid four out of five show, with the exception of Fiend versus Cena, where if we were to give star ratings, for me that gets twenty seven stars out of five. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, 
I'm gonna go 3.5 out of five just because I can't give WWE a four. Uh, I felt like the Gronk stuff really did lower it. Oh, but if it was in Tokyo, it would be a four out of five, right? The dome would be eight out of five. (laughs) (laughs) But it, I I did. I don't like the way the matches end. And again, that's not the WWE's fault. There's, there's no crowds there. But right, uh, that that's a thing. Like McIntyre celebrating in front of seventy thousand fans would hit very different. Yeah, versus celebrating in front of Michael Cole, it's a little different. I will say, though, I enjoyed Night 2 so much more than Night 1. I would probably give Night 2 a 4.5. I would give Night 1 maybe either either a 3.5 or a 3. Yeah, I agree. And I felt like the bigger matches happened the second night. Um, just, just the way it was spaced out, the way the second night flowed, and, and the results of those matches made it seem way bigger than the first night. Uh, if WWE continues the two-night tradition, uh, which... We, I think we hope it will now, especially if we're going to go live next year in Los Angeles. Um, I think they'll get better and better at booking and scheduling matches so the Knights don't feel as lopsided as they did here. Yeah, and, and look, WWE has way too many belts. But if they're going to have all these belts, it did make sense to separate the two women's and the two men's titles and have each each of the men's or women's titles main event the respective Knights. Though, actually, uh, the first night didn't wasn't main evented by a title match, but uh, it, it did make the title matches seem more important. Even like the Bailey uh, six way or whatever the fuck uh, was <laughs> seem more important than it would have been had it been all one night. Definitely. So let's jump into the show, Matt. And I really want to start at this Fiend versus John Cena match because this might be uh, my new favorite match of all time. And it's barely a wrestling match. I'll let you get your thoughts on it, but to me, this was the perfect encapsulation of storytelling in professional wrestling. And this match did what good television shows do, which is reward viewers for following storylines. Yeah, which uh, so uh, I you know what? Let me start with the bad really quick because I do love this match. Uh, oh, Matt, starting with the bad. What a surprise. <laughs> Let's. So, Rick, I, did, does this mean that The Fiend, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt, officially has a win over John Cena at a WrestleMania? Uh, you're, are you asking whether this is WWE canon or whether this is an alternate universe, like a Earth 616? Yes. So, like, did, <laughs> so are they tied at WrestleMania? Like, are they one win against each other? Or is this just one of those, it's almost like a segment, not a match? I think uh, when you're trying to push Bray, you say, yes, he does. He has been John Cena at WrestleMania. And then when you're building up Cena for his ninth title run, you say Cena is undefeated against the Fiend at WrestleMania. See, I hate that so much. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the well, if, we take this, if we take this theory to its conclusion, it means if this is canon, then AJ Styles is dead. So, but, so diving into the match here, I loved it. Like, there's just... It, the, the way I loved how it it detailed all of John Cena's career from his ruthless aggression debut to the Doctor Thug, Thugonomics to why he never turned heel while doing the NWO stuff with uh, going back to the WrestleMania 30 match with having him with the steel chair and just saying John Cena you know what if you swung what would that look yeah. like it, it was it was just so much fun to see a John Cena play himself throughout the years you you I don't think we've ever seen that in wrestling like ever 
uh, which is kind of cool. Um, it also it it goes into the fiend's character and how like he's he's a he's a mind shifter and a manipulator, and he can bring John Cena into this world. And some of the cool stuff, like the the old school '80s promo that they were doing, was like really fun to watch. It was cool <laughs> to see John Cena in, in that mode. Uh, I, oh, I loved it, Rick. And there was just a bunch of little Easter eggs that uh, I'm sure you're mm. gonna dive in as well. So, man, this was this was barely a match. This was less of a match to, and more of a video essay on storytelling in professional wrestling and specifically focusing on the career of John Cena. And this was like, uh, John Cena, this is your life told by Bray Wyatt from the fiend's point of view. And because this was a, this was a beautiful video essay on professional wrestling, man, I would like us to dive in to a beautiful podcast essay discussing this video essay. So let's let's jump into this match. And it starts off with a traditional John Cena entrance. And he's coming out with hustle, loyalty, respect. He's coming in with his um, normal entrance, a grand WrestleMania entrance, and even starts with a speech about welcome to WrestleMania, which cuts to... Uh, a footage of Vince McMahon welcoming people to WrestleMania, uh, which really starts the storyline in this match, tying John Cena to Vince McMahon and how, like how WrestleMania was a Vince McMahon project, how Hulkamania was a Vince McMahon project. Similarly, John Cena is a Vince McMahon project. Yeah. And it really ties into to 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 what you're saying here and, and uh i'm sure you'll dive into this too but also shows the longevity of john cena's career and like you mentioned it starts off with the co- cookie cutter john cena hustle loyal respect and jumps right into that that intro so uh it's it was really well done from that perspective yeah so next we have john cena's actual debut but uh again as we all know, it's the kickoff of the Ruthless Aggression era where Kerrigo laid out an open challenge on SmackDown and John Cena, as a rookie, was the one to come out and give that line about Ruthless Aggression and and come out swinging against Kerrigo. But in this version, Bray Wyatt delivers the Kerrigo lines and when John Cena says Ruthless Aggression and starts swinging at Bray Wyatt, he ducks, and John Cena isn't able to connect, and John Cena tries over and over again. He does the same things over and over again, which was a heavy criticism of the early parts of his career, but also his entire career, you know, the famous Cena five moves of doom, and it, it the scene is intro by the Vince McMahon puppet, uh, <laughs> saying you gotta have ruthless aggression, which a parallels a real life meeting between John Cena and Vince McMahon, where Cena was not getting over prior to his doctor Dugonomics gimmick, and he was very close to being fired from WWE. Yeah, which is a shoot. Like he, he, I think he was on the short list of wrestlers they were going to let go. Uh, the only thing I want to include on this one was I like to refer to this era of John Cena as Surfer Sting John Cena. <laughs> this was back when. Uh, WWE called up their talent and people who actually watched the developmental system at that point were saying, oh, John Cena was great in developmental. They're ruining John Cena with this character. Yeah, the prototype. That was John Cena's yeah. name when he was he was down there in OVW. 
And then following this up, Bray Wyatt starts talking about John Cena's failures, including a dig at him about Nikki Bella. And this follows a a series of highlights for John Cena at WrestleMania. Uh, But we also go through his failures, like almost getting fired and, you know, proposing to Nikki Bella at WrestleMania. And then, of course, we then jump into the next segment of the match, which is a throwback to Saturday night's main event. And we have Cena and Wyatt as pseudo versions of Hulk Hogan and macho man, Randy Savage. And at this point, Bray Wyatt keeps talking about how John Cena has a great body and that's all you need in wrestling. You just need a great body. You don't need talent. And John Cena then comes out lifting weights uh, with, you know, like the classic 80s Hogan style, you know, posing while delivering a promo while behind the classic blue cage. And I, I feel like I want to get your interpretation on this, Matt. I mean, obviously this compares Hogan to Cena, but I feel like this also talks about how Cena uh, was uh, only only a bodybuilder without a lot of wrestling talent, but he was at the same time symbolized by the cage trapped behind this world of 80s masculinity that he couldn't escape, but he was so good at. But eventually it ends with him lifting weights so hard that he his arm ceases to work and he can't fight Bray Wyatt. And I feel like that reference, references um, John Cena's failed bodybuilding career and how he resorted to wrestling rather than someone like Bray Wyatt, who went, who is a second-generation superstar and went into the business from the very start wanting to be a champion. Yeah, and I think when you put it that way, the placement was was perfectly done. Uh, initially, when I watched this, I thought it was a reference to him being the next Hulk Hogan. So uh, in my... Oh, definitely. I think that too. Yeah. So but the, so if that was the case, the chronological order, I felt like should have been after the do- Dr. Thugonomics. But would it, it mm. wouldn't have made sense in, in that like when he was the Dr. Th- Thugonomics, that's when Cena really uh, shined and showed that he was very uh, charismatic and, and wasn't just a, a body and and could actually be a unique wrestler uh, in, in pro wrestling. So in that case, uh, I do like the chronological order, but if you're going to compare him to Hogan, I feel like Super Cena after Dr. Thugonomics is more of that timeline. But again, this is a multitude of stuff. It's not just that one comparison. It's also, like you mentioned, his failed bodybuilding uh, career and him just being another body. So in that case, it was, it was perfectly placed. And I, you know what? It, it was really fun. Uh, that that is like old school uh, WWE promos, uh, you know, just talking about yeah. like their style in general. And so that was really fun. It was also cool to see the the blue the the blue WWE cage back for for the segment. Yeah. So speaking of Doctor Economics, that's the next step of John Cena's career, where you know after he almost got fired, Stephanie McMahon. The story goes, Stephanie McMahon heard him freestyling on a tour bus, and that's where the Doctor Doctor Economics gimmick came from. And we see that Doctor Economics people remember that character very fondly, and. Um, and it's probably Cena's most popular character. He came out uh, as that character at last year's WrestleMania. I think there are a couple of things here. So 
let's go into them one by one. First, the New York Yankees jersey. Um, I think this was a very high point in John Cena's popularity, but um, one of the great CM Punk promos about John Cena is that he compared him to the New York Yankees because John Cena is from Massachusetts. He's presumably a Red Sox fan. So he, to himself, he's always seen himself as the underdog, you know, Mr. Hustle, loyalty, respect, having to fight for everything. But CM Punk was the one that really exposed him saying like, look, you're, you are like the Boston Red Sox, but you're like the Boston Red Sox now. Um, Well, in 2015, not 2020, because there are other things, but uh, where Boston had this underdog mentality. They they had this curse where they haven't won in 80 plus years, but now that now they're a powerhouse. Now they're not the underdogs anymore. They're the ones on top and holding other people down. They've become the New York Yankees. And I think this starts off a line of criticism from, um, from Bray Wyatt about, no, no, like you look great from the outside, but inside you're, he calls John Cena a terrible person. And we know some of the famous backs, uh, backstage stories about John Cena allegedly holding people down. And even if you look at the props during this, we talked about the Yankees jersey. We also uh, there's also John Cena's chain, where it used to be like silver or gold, and then slowly it became lead, which is cheaper, softer, and it weighs them down. So, so I think this goes into um, a criticism shifting from Bray Wyatt of saying, "Yeah, you start off as uh, super popular, but." If you look at it, you become the New York Yankees, you become a terrible person, you're starting to hold people down, you're yourself being weighed down by this gimmick because you can't let anyone else take your spotlight. And let's be honest, Matt, Dr. Dognomics, even though we love it, the the gimmick has not aged well, and it's a very homophobic gimmick. Yeah. And uh, even when Bray Wyatt had this really heartfelt promo after John Cena's rap, uh, John Cena's response was to suck my nuts. So, uh, so I think uh, Bray Wyatt really deconstructs that aspect of John Cena's career in this segment. Yeah, so uh, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> um, I, I, I love this segment. Uh, I am a fan of the Dr. Thugonomics character. I, it doesn't age well. Uh, that I can't argue against. Um, it, it is very homophobic as far as responses. Uh, but the character himself, I felt like, was a, a unique one. And at the time it was very cool. Like uh, he was, he was rocking uh, throwback jerseys for every city he was going to. Uh, it was, it was very popular. It felt new. I, I, I love the, the Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees line from CM Punk. And I'm, I'm glad they brought it up here. And it's true. And like, not only is this a criticism to John Cena, which it absolutely is, it's a, it's a Vince McMahon thing. Look, Hulk Hogan was the quote unquote underdog. John Cena is the quote unquote underdog roman reigns the latest newest quote-unquote underdog but they're not they're the they're, they're the new york yankees and like like they mentioned with the boston red sox especially from a massachusetts guy like john cena it's like look the boston red sox for for the longevity of their of their history were the uh, the underdogs they 
They didn't win a title since 1902, whatever. They won their first title in 2007. But after 2007 on, like they, they are probably more of a powerhouse than the New York Yankees are. They've become the evil empire. And, and that's what John Cena has become. It's you, you may say you're hustle, loyalty, respect, and, and you're always the underdog coming in and you have that mentality, but you've had the WWE title longer than a majority of wrestlers on the roster. And, and the guys that you're, you're fight, wrestling in these matches are, are just trying to get to the top and you've been there for, for decades. So uh, it, it just hit that much harder uh, to bring this back up when CM Punk said it. Cause I remember when CM Punk said it, it was a, us wrestling fans were really happy because we were so sick of, of the Vince McMahon stupid, goofy wrestling. And we, we finally had like our wrestler that was the, the voice of the voiceless. Uh, and I feel like that was a time, a trying time for John Cena. Cause I think uh, this is, I got, who knows uh, personally, but I feel like this is the point in his career where he started to realize like, Hey, the way I'm doing business isn't, isn't great for business. Maybe it's just great for me. And, and Vince McMahon, it only wants me to make him money. So uh, I don't know if this is the way to go. And, and bringing it up here again was, was a, a critical part in his career. And, and of course it added to the segment. Yeah, so I think I want to capture on that segment of John Cena having that realization because the next segment in this match goes straight to that point. It cuts to a WCW Monday Nitro uh, set where where Bray Wyatt is playing the role of Eric Bischoff, introducing uh, the heel Hollywood Hulk Hogan of the NWO. And this draws and Cena, of course, plays the Hulk Hogan character, comes out in uh, NWO shirt, air guitaring the NWO, champion, NWO championship. And this is another comparison of Hogan to Cena from earlier, except this one actually paints Hogan in a positive light, where, um, where Hogan in WCW was a lot like Super Cena. We know that Super Cena was on top and he was booed because fans wanted to see newer talent and wanted to see uh, Cena being dethroned. And that was the same with Hulk Hogan and WCW. He was starting to get booed at this point in his career. But but he did the unthinkable in this lifelong face, you know, the face of professional wrestling, uh, the the ultimate good guy turned heel and became a bad guy and joined up with the NWO and honestly became one of the coolest acts in professional wrestling history and really was able to, to project the longevity of his career and really bring a new side of wrestling. And this was during the time where WCW was starting to overtake WWE. So, in a way, Hogan, the ultimate babyface turning heel, was best for business. Now, compare this to John Cena, and I think where this is where uh, Bray Wyatt's criticism, Cena comes in, is that Cena was in the same position as Hogan. He was hated by the fans. Uh, the fans over and over wanted uh, someone to dethrone him and wanted Cena to turn, turn heel. Um, and this is supposed to be a 
unspoken bond between wrestling fans and promoters where if we cheer for someone you turn face if we boo someone you turn heel and that's been true until the recent years until the john cena years where he just kept being a baby face and we can and again, at the end, we can talk about the John Cena side of this, uh, about the Make-A-Wish stuff, all that stuff. But from this one, I want to analyze Bray Wyatt's uh, video essay point of view, where he's saying that it would have been best for business for John Cena to turn heel, to put over guys like RVD and CM Punk and the Nexus. But instead, he buried young talent over and over again and... And if you look at Hulk Hogan, even after he turned heel, he was still the biggest thing in professional wrestling. And John Cena could have still been a bad guy and been the biggest thing in professional wrestling. But over and over again, John Cena refused to do so. And it was, uh, it was him putting himself above the business. Yeah, and, th- and that's the way it happened. But I, I do have to, I have to defend John Cena in this respect. I remember... Uh, when WWE discovered podcasts and we're, we're putting them on their network. And Chris Jericho had a podcast. Well, he still has a podcast, but a podcast that was on the network. And he did one with John Cena. And I remember John Yeah, C- just quick aside, I was, uh, Chris Jericho had this story about Vince McMahon not knowing what podcasts were. <laughs> Vince McMahon just thought podcasts was a shoot interview. <laughs> and <laughs> he didn't know, like, uh, he's, uh, Jericho says, yeah, let's... Uh, you know, if we if we just like record interviews on in video form on WWE Network, that's not really what podcasting is. It's, and Vince was like, "Of course, that's what podcasting is. Podcast is a shoe interview. We're doing shoe interviews." <laughs> oh god! <laughs> well, so during Vince McMahon's shoe interview of Drew Jericho and uh, and John Cena, uh, he mentioned. Um, he, so it, it was it was it was conflicting, but this is what John Cena said, and this is this is verbatim. It's not it's not verbatim. This is um, paraphrasing here, but uh, John Cena said uh, that he he didn't think he could turn heel because he didn't think there's a baby face to take over in his in his spot to like like you like mm. you go to the Make a Wish Foundation like he he's done like the most trips of any celebrity ever, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but he then backtracked and said. There was one time where Vince McMahon finally greenlighted it. He's like, "John, we're gonna we're gonna turn you heel." And he like he said he like sprinted out of the room, got uh, got a new uh, wrestling attire, was working on new music. So it sounded like he was jazzed to turn heel. Uh, but the mm-hmm. Vince McMahon initially he, he then uh, uh, nixed it, and which is why he's he's never turned heel since uh, he turned babyface. But so I I don't. So I see what you're saying, and the criticism are valid. There are stories of holding back guys. Uh, he w- was the most popular superstar, and if he wanted to turn heel, he could have been adamant and made it happen. That being said, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like he he did hear the fans boo him, and he knew what the <laughs> right thing was to do to turn heel, uh, but he didn't go through with it. And honestly, history will not look at that kindly because that was the right move. And had Sean Cena turn heel, he would have been even a bigger star than he is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a good point because for every one of these points that Bray Wyatt makes, there's a counter argument on John Cena's side. And we could get into that. I mean, I think 
this this match could have not just an entire podcast episode, but an entire podcast series dedicated to it. But that's not what we're doing today. But we're 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 approaching this from uh, Bray Wyatt's point of view. But I do think you you make a very good point about this is the point of view of the villain. This is like a superhero movie where you find out the villain's backstory, his tragic origin, and you start sympathizing with him. I think like Bray Wyatt is playing like the Eric Killmonger role in in this uh, scenario or the Thanos role in this scenario. But if you take a step back and look at both sides of the situation, uh, you can still see that, you know, like John Cena is still like a hero and the Fiend is still a villain. So after all the WCW parallels and Bray Wyatt criticizing John Cena for not turning heel, he finally gives him the chance to correct history. And here's where we get to the meat of this match, which is the impetus of this feud, which is WrestleMania six years ago, where John Cena uh, faces Bray Wyatt when Bray Wyatt was one of the hottest new rookies coming up from NXT. And he uh, had a match with John Cena at WrestleMania. And this was during... This was part of the criticism, right? John Cena had a chance to put over guys like Bray Wyatt and Rusev, but instead he had victories over them. And even and Bray Wyatt points this out in this match and say, "Listen, you say you're a man of the people. Listen to the people. They're chanting for Bray Wyatt." And during that match, there was one pivotal moment where John Cena had a steel chair in his hand, and he could have turned heel. And that's what Bray Wyatt was trying to get him to do six years ago. He was trying to expose John Cena's dark side. That was John Cena's heel turn, primed and ready. But instead of making that choice, John Cena laid down the chair and then beat Bray Wyatt uh, with face tactics anyways. So this time, Bray Wyatt... Uh, gives John Cena a steel chair again and lets him make that decision once more, except this time after John Cena has reviewed his career in the Firefly Funhouse and see that at, at this point, John Cena realizes that he was wrong and he should have turned heel and she should have started to put young guys over. This time he makes the decision that Bray Wyatt, from Bray Wyatt's point of view, that John Cena should have made years and years ago, specifically six years ago, and John Cena takes a swing with the steel chair at Bray Wyatt's head to to complete his heel turn. But then Bray Wyatt disappears, and we find out that John Cena was too late, and he's missed his opportunity. So good. That's all I had to add with that one. <laughs> so this this is my match of the night if it is a match and it, we, we do have to mention when this concludes it cuts to a titus o'neill blank stare into the, <laughs> into the camera say what was that so it was, it was perfectly done and honestly it was probably the highlight of wrestlemania yeah um and to conclude this match uh we get uh, we get a highlight reel of John Cena's biggest losses, including to RVD at One Night Stand, yeah. including to CM Punk at Money in the Bank 2011, which uh, might still be my favorite match of all time. 
including John Cena losing to The Rock at WrestleMania and going on a year-long losing streak. Although even then, he beat Brock Lesnar. So (laughs) I guess that goes to Bray Wyatt's point as well. But this also cuts back to uh, one of John Cena's promos from this feud where he called Bray Wyatt the most overhyped, the most overvalued, and the most overprivileged superstar in the WWE. And and John Cena says this match is to end all that. And during this time, Bray Wyatt has uh, John Cena and Sister Abigail position, and The Fiend has emerged to end John Cena. And you hear that promo, and you hear John Cena saying, this match is about ending the most overhyped, the most overvalued, and the most overprivileged superstar in the WWE. And then you realize that that line wasn't about Bray Wyatt. That line was about John Cena. And Bray Wyatt proceeds to beat John Cena in this match. Yeah. So this is this is a great match. And if there's anything you want to add, Rick, we went 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, well, one last Easter egg at the end of the match. Uh, when The Fiend is celebrating, John Cena's on the ground. He disappears and fulfilling the prophecy from his very first time donning the Dr. Thugonomics, um, the Dr. Thugonomics robes, where he just disappears from the screen, uh, mirroring his catchphrase, you can't see me. Nice. Uh, so I am not going to give an essay on the following matches. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, uh, let's let's do a rapid fire here. So yeah, rapid okay. fire here. Stupid intro. How dumb was that? It was really stupid. You know, it started <laughs> off as this cliche and turned into this uh, stupid Jack Sparrow impression. But we're wrestling fans. We like the cliche. We want to get lost in the world, especially in a time like now. So pointing that out is stupid. Yeah. Okay, next. Alistair <laughs> Black versus Bobby Lashley. Alistair Black wins. Stupid. They want to secure Bobby Lashley. And... <laughs> so, uh, not going to happen. Uh, I miss impact on Bobby Lashley. Yeah. Elias versus King Corbin. Elias Who cares? Versus... Elias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rapid Fire. She Profits versus Austin Theory and Angel Garza. She Profits win. Why were Theory and Garza a team? Stupid. I, I like all these guys. This would have been like a really good XT TV match. Uh, that being said, storyline makes no sense, but they were forced their hand. Yeah. Okay, next. Kabuki Warriors versus Bliss and Cross. Uh, you know, Bliss and Cross wins, whatever. There's rumors of Kyrie leaving. Yeah. Uh, I like all, but, all four women, but yeah, also stupid. They leave defensive title against Sasha Banks. Lacey Evans, Naomi, and Tamina. Uh, the stupid thing about this was it should have been Sha- Sasha versus Bailey. They made it entertaining, but so stupid. Yeah, you know how like we've been begging for months, if not years, for Sasha versus Bailey feud, and they teased that in this match, but then it's like, oh no, they're friends again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> stupid. Uh, and then we go to the stupidest thing. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski pens Mojo Rowley to become 24-7 WWE champion. That, because that was unpredictable. Who could have saw that? <laughs> it's now to do with Gronk in our lives. This was, this was the only two-night storyline of WrestleMania. <laughs> so, stupid. So, going, going forward, not stupid. 
not so rapid fire, but quick. <laughs> We're going to do a quick talk on the next two matches. Uh, not stupid, but very quickly, Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. Kevin Owens wins. He has his big WrestleMania moment of dropping an elbow onto Seth on the announce table for the WrestleMania sign. Wait, no, this match means I actually won our predictions, right? Because I predicted Kevin Owens, you predicted Seth Rollins. And in this match, Kevin Owens won twice. <laughs> so I get two points, right? Well, if that was the case, then we tie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I think this is a match that we didn't have a lot of high hopes going into it. Even um, I think we were we were high on the actual wrestling because these are two of WWE's best wrestlers, if not the two best. Um, but the storyline we weren't into, I think that was fixed by the promo and the swerve in the middle because um, at first Seth Rollins got disqualified and it looked like the match was going to end. And we were, I think we were both here thinking, oh, this is just typical not treating WrestleMania seriously, and this is treating it like uh, another episode of Monday Night Raw, continuous storyline rather than ending it. But WWE swears us, proves us wrong, restarts the match as a no-DQ match, and Kevin Owens has his WrestleMania moment. Yeah, and I, I thought the same thing to you. I was like, are they really going to have a WrestleMania match and in disqualification? Like, <laughs> I, think, I can't remember. The last time they did that was probably WrestleMania 2. Uh, but they did. They made it. Uh, they restarted the match, and Kevin Owens had, finally had his big WrestleMania moment that that they coined. Uh, but overall, it was awesome. Yeah. But it was just again it, great it, spot in this match. By the way, Kevin Owens diving off the WrestleMania sign onto Seth Rollins. Yeah, that was super cool. But again, it was a solid match. Uh, that moment was very cool, uh, which made it memorable. Had an opportunity for that, it, it would have just been a solid bout. But uh, go, talking about solid bouts. Uh, it's talk about the Intercontinental Championship match where champion Sami Zayn defends his title and retains against Daniel Bryan. Uh, this, again, it's when we look back at WrestleMania, we're not going to remember this match. Uh, but this is like yeah. a perfect style match for the environment. Yeah, I mean, quick thoughts. The, the shit, like we said before, this should have been Daniel Bryan versus Shinsuke Nakamura. But, you know, Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn, I'm never going to turn down that match either way. Quick thoughts on Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler. This was actually a match that we thought was going to main event one of the nights. But uh, from all reports, uh, it seems like WWE has, and Vince specifically, has soured on Shayna Baszler. And I think that reflected, um, whether or not that's true, that sentiment was reflected uh, in this match where it felt very rushed and it ended way faster than I think either of us thought it would end. It ended with uh, Becky Lynch doing a quick roll up of uh, Shayna and not even like her finisher or uh, anything like that. And I think that's a shame because this is literally the longest term storytelling in terms of this period of storylines because this was uh, even before Elimination Chamber, even before Royal Rumble, we were getting rumblings of Becky versus Shayna at WrestleMania. So I think it's a shame how this match ended uh, so nonchalantly. And as we talked about earlier with Bray Wyatt, lose being built up as a monster heel and losing your first WrestleMania match is really damaging to someone's career. Yeah, and I feel like this is uh, this match suffered the same fate that AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura suffered a couple years earlier 
and that this is the match that we wanted to see as wrestling fans, but Vince McMahon had no interest in doing. Uh, so he he caves and give us the, gives us the match at WrestleMania, but he's not going to have Shayna go over Lynch here, just like he wasn't going to have Nakamura go over Styles at, at that WrestleMania. Uh, they did the best with what they had. It was a solid in-ring match. Uh, like the previous bout we talked about, it's it, great for this environment. But look, Shayna just did so much damage. They did so much damage to her here. Uh, maybe she could win the money in the bank and go forward. But if Vince is not that high on her, uh, unfortunately, it, it seems like going back to NXT is probably uh, a better career route for her, which is disappointing. But Becky Lynch is super popular. I'm yeah. very happy she had a, has an over-year reign as champion. The other shame here is that by Becky Lynch beating Shayna Baszler is that Becky Lynch does not have a single credible challenger in the entire women's division. And I think the only way you can really have someone threaten Becky Lynch again is to have Ronda Rousey come back. And we know that might not happen until maybe even next year's WrestleMania. Yeah, so a lot of disappointment in that one. But um, By the way, I just thought this, but... Next year's WrestleMania is in Los Angeles, and that would be a per- that would be perfect for Ronda Rousey because Staples Center was the one was the building that booed her at the building and started her heel turn. So uh, I'm looking forward to the video packages there. Yeah, and she she's from Riverside too, so that that much that has to be a fucking bummer. Uh, but let's yeah. let's go let's circle back to a stupid match, Rick. <laughs> in this stupid match was Otis versus Dolph Ziggler. Uh, this isn't going to be rapid fire, but I really don't want to yeah. spend that much time on it. Um, I have several questions <laughs> about this. <laughs> Go for it. Well, first of all, Michael, uh, one, of the, well, one of the things I loved about Firefly Funhouse match also was no announcers, which yeah. was oh, a breath of fresh air. Uh, because we get shit like this where Michael Cole says that this might be the most personal rivalry in WrestleMania history. <laughs> and another thing are the announcers with no crowd. When they're showing the replay, you yeah. can hear them screaming. And it, yeah. it, it was just so bad. But this Michael Cole uh, wrong. This is not yeah. the most personal rivalry in WrestleMania history. <laughs> and I liked how they try to make Mandy coming in, turning face and kissing Otis a WrestleMania moment. And honestly, I don't think any of us cared about this match. Uh, or, yeah. or wanted to see uh, to be f- to be clear, no women were actually contractually on the line in this match, right? No, thank God. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about. I, I one. I have two very pertinent questions from the storyline, which is um, why, why does Sonia betray Mandy? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because because she's a heel. Damn it. And two, who was the hacker that exposed them? We, I think to this day, we still don't know. So <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, uh, th- so the one, the one bright spot here in, unfortunately, Dolph Ziggler is a wrestler who should have left the WWE five years ago, but he finally gets a singles match at WrestleMania. So the, the one highlight from, from this encounter. I, I did like how JBL said, oh, this just be a two-time world champion at WrestleMania. <laughs> Uh, so so moving on and rick um th- this this goes under the stupid category i have to say despite it being a solid match um uh-huh. this is for the tag team titles yet is a single triple threat <laughs> match with john morrison the defending champion 
versus with the, both belts hung up, by the way, uh, versus Kofi yeah. Kingston and Anuso. I will say, like, uh, all politics aside and all backstage stuff aside, uh, just looking at matches themselves, I thought that this was the match of the night on night one. Yeah, I agree. And it was a solid match. The only thing, and again, I, I know I'm a unique fan here. I know I'm not alone, though. Uh, and that when it's not explained, it fucking ruins it. And like, I understand there's a bunch of backstage stuff, and they probably just didn't want to dive into it. But you do a very simple, you just say, uh, uh, they talked backstage, and they decided that one member of each team will represent in this match or something stupid. Like you just give us something. Instead, they just pretended like nothing was happening when they were like representing. Yeah. What, tell, how about you tell us why like Roman Reigns was built up for to main event WrestleMania this whole time and then he wasn't there. Yeah. Why? Because it makes WWE look bad. And I, know, I know they want to pretend like everyone's not stuck at home and they want to pretend, <laughs> pretend like this isn't happening, but it, them not mentioning it reminds you of what's happening and, and them just like right. quickly saying hey this situation this would happen moving on we all would move on but they again wwe makes things worse because that's what they do that being said very solid ladder match yeah. uh these three guys really really killed it uh john morrison wins uh for his team here and i'm uh, happy to see kofi kingston gets another wrestlemania appearance right and again uh, you have to give it up to them because it seems like uh, all three of these teams have really big ideas for this match, and a lot of those ideas were utilized in this match with, uh, like, acrobatics, uh, John Morrison doing Starship Hang uh, off the corner onto Kofi Kingston on a prone ladder, or even even the ending where... Um, where Kofi and the Uso was holding on to the holder part of the tag team titles, and then John Morrison just pulls down the actual titles. Uh, it, it's stuff like that that um, that I think as wrestling fans we really enjoy because we've seen plenty of ladder matches. What we ha- what we really want to see are ladder matches uh, that show us something new or a different ending or a different way to play with the environment. I think this match did that. Yeah, but again, my, my holdup is, had this been for the U.S. title, uh, it would have been uh, way more cooler than dis, dis, uh, besmirching the tag team titles like this. But I am a tag team traditionalist. <laughs> uh, but let's let's move on here, Rick, and let's go into uh, the one of the Royal Rumble winners, and this is Charlotte, the Royal Rumble winner, facing the NXT Women's Champion Rhea Ripley. And... Uh, I, I'm not really happy with where it was placed on the card, but it was a solid match. Uh, but they were very loud, and you can hear <laughs> them in an empty, empty arena. I thought this was actually on a very prominent spot on the card. Like the uh, the opening match of WrestleMania is a very—I feel like it's a very prestigious spot. And in past years, it's been uh, say for the World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, ever since Edge did it against El Porto del Rio. Um, and and I feel like uh, and this match opened night two, so I do think that was a prestigious uh, environment. And that being said, this match went on for almost 30 minutes, and uh, it was actually a really well-wrestled, entertaining match that does go into the backstory of 
why Rhea Ripley wants to be Charlotte Flair because she does not want to be compared to that, you know, all American blonde, uh, like champion where she wants to build her own identity. And then Charlotte Flair at the same time reigning over NXT. And I feel like this is one of those matches where, you know, it has a conclusion. The Royal Rumble winner won their challenge at WrestleMania. But at the same time, I feel like this also sets up Rhea Ripley for a great comeback storyline. And I am excited to see Charlotte on Wednesday nights. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And I feel like uh, we, we initially talked about it and I, and I picked Charlotte here and the way it worked out was exactly what I wanted to see. Uh, I, it was a very solid match. I'm happy they gave these two women 30 minutes. Um, it, it was perfect for the environment. I feel like uh, while it may have been a different style and potentially could have been better in front of a crowd, I felt like they did a great job with the environment. And Charlotte going over here, uh, if as long as they go through with it, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, it sets up a really long and great redemption story for Rhea Ripley to, to win back the women's title. Uh, my problem with the placement and I get what you're saying. Uh, the opening match of WrestleMania is very um, prestigious and it's a great spot on the card. I just hate when world titles are placed there. I feel like as a traditionalist, it does uh, disrespect the title a little bit, but again, when you have four world titles and you're including the <laughs> one from a different promotion, I guess you have to place them somewhere. So uh, I, I can forgive that. And it was a very solid match between these two women. Another part I like about this match is that how we were complaining earlier about Shayna Baszler looking, uh, losing to Becky Lynch. Uh, here, Rhea Ripley looked very competitive, and it seems like she has progress after this match uh, where where this, this match doesn't kill her character. It actually builds on her character. Another part, too, is... Um, Charlotte is desperately needed in NXT because a lot of their female talents getting called up, including uh, Bianca Belair, which we skipped over earlier because it was part <laughs> of our rapid fire. But but you know, excited about Bianca Belair on uh, Monday Night Raw, especially with the Street Profits. But yeah, I think uh, Charlotte Flair going to NXT really revitalizes that division as well. So you know, solid match that gave. Uh, both wrestlers a future to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. Moving on, in this match, uh, well, well, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Rick. Uh, this is Randy Orton versus Edge, the last man standing match. Edge goes over here. Um, they try to make this match unique in having them kind of brawl backstage. I don't think they ever really were in the ring. Um, yeah. And, and it ends it, uh, on the top of a truck in the back. Um, but this match was very, very long. <laughs> it was actually 36 minutes, which makes it the longest match of WrestleMania. That being said, when I was saying at the top of the show that the best matches of this particular WrestleMania were the ones that took advantage of the environment and the fact that there was no crowd, I would include this match with the Boneyard match and with the Firefly Funhouse match because it really took advantage of the fact that they were at the Performance Center. Randy Orton and Edge were fighting all over the place, including the gym, including the setup area, including the parking lot you know, on top of that truck. And on top of that, this, like how Michael Cole was saying that uh, Otis versus Salt Sickler might be the most personal match <laughs> in the WrestleMania history. I feel like this legitimately might be 
Randy Orton versus Edge legitimately might be one of, if not the most personal match in WrestleMania history. And the opening package was perfect with with Edge coming back after a nine-year hiatus and Randy Orton wanting to end his career, not not because he hated Edge, but because he loved Edge and he doesn't want to see him end up in a wheelchair. And that includes, you know, attacking, attacking, you know, Beth Phoenix um, on, on Raw. And, you know, that's what, like we said in the Firefly Funhouse match, when you understand the motivations of the villain, it makes the entire storyline much more compelling. And this entire storyline between the back and forth concertos with the depth-defying spots with people getting thrown into like very sharp metal objects that made me cringe. I feel like this match was like Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair's I, I'm sorry, I love you moment, but for 36 minutes. Yeah, see, and I, I, I like the backstage brawl, and I, and I agree with you. I think this was probably the most personal match in WrestleMania history, and, and I thought they did a really good job with the buildup, which makes my disappointment in this match even, even more so. It was just too damn long. <laughs> and when, you go, <laughs> when you have a brawl, like all you're doing is punching each other, and I know they, they use like the gym, and, and they use the parts of the performance center that, that we haven't seen since the Attitude Era, really. But again, it was mm-hmm. just if they cut this match by twenty minutes, it's great, it's phenomenal. But it, they just went too long, and and I know what they're trying I to do here. That. They're, they're trying to make it seem like it's a personal feud, and they, you know, both these guys are out for blood. But again, just the length was my main issue with it. Uh, I mean, I agree. I think you know, ten to twenty minutes could be cut from this match. All you really need is the beginning, some backstage draw, and the ending yeah. with which. Edge, you know, great actor. Like he's, I don't think he had this range when he was an active wrestler, but since wrestling, he's starred on TV shows, he's starred in movies. So I feel like he's picked up some stuff along the way. And the conflicted look he gave at the end when he was about to put down Randy Orton was really beautiful. So I think um, whatever acting lessons he took while he was retired really paid off for this match. And I, I feel like this match, if it weren't for Firefly Funhouse, would have been my match of the night. Uh, I do agree with you. Like it, it could be cut, but at the same time, this is a classic WrestleMania match where WrestleMania is supposed to end feuds and last man standing matches are supposed to end feuds. And this, for the first time in a long time, this was a last man standing match that actually felt like a last man standing match. It felt like both competitors were trying to destroy the other person and actually going to the lengths that it takes to destroy the other person. Yeah. And I agree with that, that point. Again, I just, for a brawl, like uh, I like back, backstage brawls myself. I, I that's what I started watching wrestling as. Um, but again, it, I just it was just long. It had maybe they they kept the same same length and twenty minutes were in the ring. Maybe I would have liked it a little bit more, but uh, but it wasn't the case. But I do agree with you. I feel like Edge had a very had a phenomenal performance. Randy Orton is is great as a heel. And uh, this did feel like the culmination of a WrestleMania match. So, so that I was happy with and I'm happy with the outcome. But um, let's go from a super long match, Rick, to a super short match. And this is for <laughs> the Universal Championship where champion Goldberg faces Ro- – well, no. He faced Braun Strowman 
uh, in a four-minute match for the Universal title, and Strowman goes over here and finally wins a big title. If I had my way, this would have been the stupid section. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm happy for Braun Strowman. He deserves it. But, like, uh, this was the Universal title in the last two months. It's probably the, the worst booked main title in professional wrestling history since the finger po- poke of doom or when Kevin Nash ended Goldberg's streak in WCW. It's like, the, this title uh, should have been defended by the Fiend against John Cena in the Firefly Funhouse match, yeah. and to to have it be here, uh, to have it be barely a build, and even to have everything uh, with Braun Strowman replacing Roman Reigns, uh, I I I was not into this match at all from either a wrestling point of view or from a storyline point of view. So uh, I, it's not a stupid section just because I'm a traditionalist and I don't want to shit on a world title. Though I, I guess we did for the women's <laughs> title, uh, which sucks. Uh, but I I agree with you on every single point you said. <laughs> right. The the one thing I do have to say this is this is a fun quick. Goldberg match I have to say for his age it's not like a a prime Goldberg match it was fun but I do agree with you with the booking it should have been Roman Reigns versus The Fiend initially uh do some due to circumstances it it should have been The Fiend versus John Cena for the Universal Championship I absolutely agree with you uh but Rick maybe we can use this as an opportunity to 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 just get rid of the Universal title what do you say I feel like (laughs) it's 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 served its purpose it has the stupidest name of every world title in the history of wrestling uh, maybe we could just use this opportunity to, to cut our cut our losses. What do you say? What do you give Fox then? They paid a lot of money for SmackDown and the World Championship. Uh, we could just we could just elevate that Becky women's that Bailey women's championship mm. to to new heights. I I think the Universal title is so stupid. But anyways, or you can have yeah. the WWE champion, you know, show up on both shows. That's that's a radical idea. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Definitely agree. But, you know, like you said, like Goldberg is getting up there in age. But uh, I want to point to the opposite of that, where for the last few years, we have criticized The Undertaker a lot for putting on matches when he really should not have to. But let's go to the next match, the Boneyard match, where Undertaker looked like The Undertaker of old again, rather than old Undertaker. So uh, The Undertaker should have retired at WrestleMania 30. Like I, I still hold on to that. Um, punk, punk fan me saying that to the Undertaker. Uh, that said, um, if you are going to have him wrestle, this is the style of match he needs to have. Not in the ring where you're expecting a lot from him. Uh, kind of, again, out of the ring, different environment, fun type of cinematic match. So um, there was a lot of cuts. I'm sure when they were filming it, they stopped a lot and went over here. Well, they had to when he was teleporting. Uh, so he was, <laughs> so, uh, wait, you mean he wasn't really teleporting? <laughs> he, he wasn't really teleporting, but it was super fun. I, I felt like, uh, AJ Styles' entrance was funny. Um, yeah. The Undertaker. Um, how it had the traditional Undertaker theme and then AJ Styles pops out of the coffin instead of Undertaker. Yeah. And then the Metallica thing was, it was kind of cool for Undertaker's character. I guess he's the American badass again. Uh, not, yeah. uh, so. Well, I think he's, um, I think. If you read into it, this is a point of his career where AJ Styles has talked about his wife and his family through um, the entire build up of this feud. Again, another great example of 
WWE like video editors like taking shit and making <laughs> chicken salad. Um, but yeah, I think this was him going back as American badass uh, to defend his family's honor and his wife's honor. But at the same time, this is a wise undertaker where he's the American badass, but he's grown and he's uh, he's incorporated the Undertaker's supernatural powers to the American badass. So it's like the best of both worlds. Yeah, which I'm fine with in this kind of style. Uh, Again, uh, the match itself was fun. I guess Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows died because they're in the fire uh, when they're on on top of that roof. (laughs) Well, AJ Styles got buried alive. True, so I guess they're all dead. Um, I think we're playing with Lucha Underground rules here. (laughs) Well, if that's the case, then they're dead. But um, (laughs) but it was very fun. I like how... Uh, AJ Styles was really, uh, par- uh, this is a pun, uh, was phenomenal in this match. Uh, I like how when Undertaker was like, fight like a man, and he says, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, I don't know if I, I could add much more to it than it was fun. I'm very happy that AJ Styles technically has main evented at WrestleMania, uh, which, uh, which is super cool. Uh, but Rick, I have to pose the question. Uh, do you think... The Undertaker retires on a high note here. Do you think this is the last time we see him? I think that depends on how much money Saudi Arabia is willing to give him. <laughs> um, That's true. But I think, I think if honestly, I think if he had his way, uh, he would retire on a high note. And this was probably uh, the highest of high notes uh, for the Undertaker in a long time. When would you say? When would you say his last? Uh, high note this caliber was yeah I mean it's tough I think maybe him versus Bray Wyatt at 31 maybe um, maybe yeah. John Cena that won Wrestlemania in the squash match but I, I feel like that wasn't a great look for John Cena I don't right. know I, probably, not since, yeah. probably not since the streak was broken right yeah I think the Wrestlemania and even Wrestlemania 30 he didn't look great uh, he was concussed during that match but uh, I think WrestleMania 29 versus CM Punk is probably the very last yeah. great Undertaker WrestleMania match. Yeah, but I think this definitely brings out to the Undertaker of old. And I think if fans had their way, if Undertaker had his way, if Mark Holloway had his way, that he would retire on a high note with this match. Yeah, but let's let's move on to the main event of night two and the last match of this WrestleMania. This is... WWE champion Brock Lesnar defending against a Royal Rumble winner, Drew McIntyre. And Drew McIntyre finally concludes his journey from being fired from the WWE to bulking up, coming back, winning the Royal Rumble, and then winning the WWE Championship at WrestleMania in the last match. In a very quick Brock Lesnar-style match, but unfortunately in the performance center in front of no fans, but nonetheless, yeah. a good match. This was way better than Goldberg versus Braun Strowman, even though it had the same beats yeah. as Goldberg versus Braun Strowman. Uh, a lot of that too is Drew McIntyre's path. And it's really this, tra- um, it's, it, it's the traditional Royal Rumble winner conquering the beast at WrestleMania storyline, but with Drew McIntyre's history about, uh, uh, how he was the chosen one to being to being lazy and disillusioned with wrestling to being fired. Uh, 
and then rebuilding himself back up to have this moment. That's what made the generic storytelling personal. And for Drew McIntyre, uh, we gushed last time about uh, his time in the Indies and how even in in the Indies, he his goal was to become WWE champion, and he's never strayed from that goal. And I think this is... This is the one where I'm most disappointed. It wasn't in front of 70,000 fans because this this is the classic story of, um, I think, the fans connecting with a wrestler and really wanting him to conquer the beast and really putting ourselves in that position. Yeah, and I, this is this was a classic WrestleMania main event. And yeah, it was the same beats from the other match, and I do agree with you. It was way better. It also helps that both these guys can still wrestle in their prime, uh, you know, mm-hmm. which is unfortunately not against Goldberg, but it is what it is. Um, Drew McIntyre, again, like we mentioned in the previous show, uh, was an actual combination of a, of a personal journey of his and, and a career where he was dubbed the chosen one in a shitty era of WWE where they just didn't know how to push stars and and really worked the indies. I remember watching Drew uh, Drew McIntyre at a PWG show um, mm-hmm. during that journey, and he really did, you know, build up the ranks and got the respect of of quote unquote smart marks. And and having a main event WrestleMania winning was was a real thing. And I know like a lot of wrestler, a lot of uh, United Kingdom wrestlers were very happy that there's finally a British world champion, uh, though he is Scottish. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, with all the great wrestlers from the United Kingdom, like finally Drew McIntyre was the one to actually hold the world championship. Yeah, and I, and I, I, hey, it is what it is. But it's funny that um, of all the great Irish and English, and um, well, all the great Irish and English wrestlers that we've had, it was a Scottish, a Scotman that, that won the <laughs> title. But nonetheless, he he deserved it, well, and, and it was yeah. and, Finn Balor won the Universal title. Which we just said should be retired. So, <laughs> well, also, so that's the thing too. Like I, I, I know again. I, I, I'm not alone here, but I know it, it is unique perspective. Uh, this is the world title. Like we, we, we they can yeah. pretend it's the universal title, but when they finally merge them, along as Vince doesn't do anything stupid like he did with the lineage of the tag team titles, um, this will <laughs> always be the belt. Yeah, yeah. No, this. I mean, th- this is the. This is the prestigious title, right? This is a title that Hulk Hogan held. This is a title that Shawn Michaels held. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you there. I'm super happy for Drew McIntyre. And I love how through this journey, he really took an introspection to himself. I think this is what sets him apart from other uh, wrestlers who are bitter, who are bitter about their journeys where Drew McIntyre, he didn't blame the politics. He never blamed the politics. He always blamed himself. He said he got lazy and he he was the reason that you know he didn't achieve the goals he wanted. He wasn't able to achieve that chosen one marker that was given to him at at you know what was he 22, 20? Um, yeah. I think that introspection really not just makes Drew McIntyre, like the typical, you know, he, uh, like the John Cena or Roman Reigns hero conquering WrestleMania moment. But that introspection really makes uh, Drew McIntyre like, a, uh, and I wish there was a better phrase for this, but like, like a real man, you know, like yeah. a real working class uh 
uh, real working class hero that realizes his own faults and overcomes his own faults and really uh, takes his beatings on the chin, but ends up achieving what he wanted in life. Yeah, and, and I, I do want to bring up one, one more thing about uh, Drew McIntyre's journey here. And I remember he mentioned uh, when he got fired, uh, this is a lifelong dream of his. So he was very sad and he was looking to guidance and trying to figure out how to get better. And he, he called Mick Foley and Mick Foley uh, was talking to him and said, I, I, he's like, where, where do you think I am? He's like, I just, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't think you have it. And I, he, he said he took that advice and he didn't get upset. He was just like, okay. Uh, I need to work on whatever that is. And he, again, went to the indie scene, uh, built his body, got became a better wrestler, tried, you know, was working all these different promotions. And I think either he called Mick back or Mick called in, whatever it was, and said, like, hey, uh, I see it now. Like, I, I didn't see it then, but now I see it. Now now I see you are a star or whatever. Uh, so he, and he's a real fan. So as, as a, another wrestling fan, I, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. It's nice to see, People that actually care about the business, a, a right. succeed in the business, but also somebody that uh, essentially hit rock bottom, uh, being let go from their dream job and coming back and being having the belt, being at the very top of the promotion it is very cool. So I'm very happy for Drew. Um, again, my only thing is he had the one, two, three to a screaming <laughs> Michael Cole, not a screaming uh, crowd in Tampa, Florida. So uh, that yeah. is the one bummer about all this. Yeah, Drew McIntyre during his time on the Indies gained a lot of tangibles like his uh, new physique. But what's most important of him um, being released from WWE and really going on this journey is that he gained what Mick Foley was talking about. He gained the intangibles that made him a superstar. Yeah. So overall, great way to end WrestleMania. Great story about Drew McIntyre. I think when he won, uh, as wrestling fans, we can relate to his emotions and we can feel, even in front of an empty crowd, we can feel that his tears and his emotions were genuine about finally making it to the mountaintop. Let's finally put a bow on the Firefly Funhouse. (laughs) <laughs> plus extra matches that we did for you all that was the best match so that's why we dived into it uh, but rick any conclusion about this wrestlemania do you want to leave our our listeners with you know what this was the most unique wrestlemania and i think even beyond everything else whoever's listening to this i uh i think matt shares this opinion but we want you to stay healthy stay safe and if this wrestlemania you know despite uh, you know, no, no matter what it has in terms of highs and lows, if it entertained you, if it distracted you, if it gave you some kind of joy during this current situation that we're in, I think then it achieved its purpose. And no matter what ratings we give it, that's the most important thing. So we want to, at Coast to Coast Wrestling Podcast here, we want then wish you all the best health and all the best in your life uh, during not just this time, but uh, for the rest of your life. Yeah, definitely. I had to um, echo those sentiments. Please stay home. This is a, a very scary time that none of us have ever experienced in our life. And, and like Rick said, uh, while we still do complain about some of the stuff of the show, I'm very <laughs> fortunate to have to watch something live. Um we are missing out on, on a lot of stuff that we love, but it's for the greater good. So uh, overall, everyone needs to stay healthy and, and stay safe during 
uh, this trial that, that we're all going through. But Rick, uh, we are not done podcasting. Even in quarantine, you and I will be, will be releasing new stuff. So when we do, where can people hear us? You can catch us almost where everywhere you can catch a podcast. Talking Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud. And if they want to reach us, Matt, where can they reach us? So either you can follow us on Twitter at Coast to Coast Wrestling Podcast. Uh, that is the number two. Or you can shoot us an email at Coast to Coast Wrestling Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, please reach out. We are big wrestling fans. Uh, we are very active every single day of the week because there's wrestling every single day of the week now, uh, even in quarantine. Uh, so please reach out. Please connect. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. All right. Until next time, stay healthy and strive for your dreams. Stay home, everyone.